All righty then. Let's right. kick this thing off. Day 65 of the quarantine, I'm pretty sure. The best the best image I saw was like today, March 97th. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. You know, I'm kind of getting used to it a little bit, but um I'm not my first two weeks, I was really doing the stress eating thing, and then I just made a bet with, uh, you know, uh, to pay at $250 every time I uh, have a day where I go over my calories, and that's worked out so far, so. Nice. You're not in the red for that? Not in the red. Nope. I, um, I'm i just going to be doing these little adjustments one, one thing at a time, the things about life that are just annoying, you know, in quarantine mode, but... Uh, Lots of FaceTime, lots of Zoom calling with people and friends and video games, you know, playing Witcher. Nice. Witcher is awesome. You got a Switch. I did. Have you been playing? No. Uh, Katie plays Animal Crossing. She doesn't <laughs> Apparently really... along with the rest of the internet. Yeah. She's like, I don't understand why people like this game so much. I never played it back in the day, but I know people were obsessed with it. Wait. Back in the day? So it's not a new game? It's a new game, but it's it was originally an N64 game for sure. Oh, okay. That's why everyone knows about it already. I see that. Like, that makes that makes sense. Uh, yeah, but uh, I never I never played it, so I don't really know it. Um, I almost feel like I should have gotten a light. I have it. I have a switch, but I I have not plugged it into a single TV yet. Oh, um, my my brother in law brings it over for Christmas every year and we plug it into the tv and the whole family plays um we played like overcooked this last christmas we played mario kart and it's yeah. so it's so much fun yeah it's super fun so i would recommend um Keep the big one i, yeah, I figured yeah, even if one. there was one time a year where i use it to plug in it's worth it and it's pretty comfortable but i, I can imagine the light would be pretty sweet um and i just haven't plugged it in because for me like i have a ps4 and if I want to sit down and play for an hour, I'm going to turn that on and play Witcher because I'm going to get really into it. But um, the benefit of this is like I just pick it up. It's right here. And so if I'm waiting on something or I just need a little break, like instead of Twitter, I can just do a, a lap or a, a race in Mario Kart in like, you know, like eight minutes or something. And I'm just like getting three stars on every every map. It's awesome. It's super fun. Nice. <laughs> I mean, I'm working hard. 15 hours a day <laughs> well no my comment was going to be like how does it you know feel to live in the most expensive part of the country and uh sit inside and play video games all day? yeah dude, it's, it's so true it's funny man because i was listening to that econ talk about like uh, zoning and, and rent and rents and stuff and he says this funny thing he puts it he's like you know these places like chelsea and new york city and paris and, and san francisco they're really like museums for like wealthy people right and i'm like sitting here like yeah there's this building down the street where these people live in like 30 million dollar apartments and he's talking about how like yeah all these people like pay these exorbitant rents um uh, and the and the zoning keeps out new supplies so the rents stay high and uh, then these people just have like these neighborhoods in like the most dense, beautiful, you know, desirable place in the whole world to live. And then they pay for high housing, but they don't really have to pay for the fact that they don't pay for that museum aspect of it in any real sense because there's they're not paying for the opportunity cost, let's say, that mm -hmm. a building developer would come in any other part of the world. I mean, there's an absolutely massive opportunity cost if you could actually develop these places um, and add more supply, right? It's a lot of these neighborhoods like to keep people out in a sense because they like this quaint, like West Village, <laughs> Chelsea vibe or whatever. And um, I was like, yeah, that's true. And then, of course, now it's like spring and it's, it's beautiful and this freaking virus is like stealing the best time in New York from us. <laughs> but I do get to go on walks. I, I go on like two, three walks a day around the, around the hood. And nice. um, people just, everyone's doing the same thing. But there's not many people out there. You just, yeah, it's good. Um. But it is kind of funny. It's like, well, actually, so I have a, a buddy of mine in this building who, like, bailed. He, like, had his lease renewal coming up. And um, he's, like, he thinks New York is going to be like this for, like, 10 months. And I think, I mean, that sounds pretty crazy to me. He yeah. was making all sorts of predictions. But he was, like, he basically said that. He's, like, I'm not going to I'm not gonna sit, sit around and pay all this money for this expensive thing and just stay inside. For some reason, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> I still love my apartment. 
just make the best of it. Yeah. There It'll you be go. over. It'll be over. It'll be over in a couple weeks, I think. Or mostly, I'm hoping. <laughs> um, yeah, man. How you been? What you been working on? Uh, pretty good. Doing a Gatsby app. Just plugging away at that. Um, yeah. Pretty I exciting. A, yeah. I um, I was thinking about this because we are working on this Gatsby site. And I was like, I, it's also like learning about React and these smaller sites and then starting to figure out about the ecosystem and the, and the players and the people and that they teach what, what they teach in it. Uh, and it's like, kind of like what you were saying where it's like, what does real advice look like? What does a real app look like in a bigger app? And what are the actual pain points? So I was trying to think like how to do like R and D on that, you know? And, um, it's hard when you're just working on this even happened with Ember. I mean, if you think about like the pain points we've had with Ember, or like the ones we know about, not necessarily with Ember, but more with like building a big app with Ember. The way you know those things is from our experience building big apps when we were working full time and had to solve like real nasty business problems, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think the R&D is, is get a job. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. It's just, you need the constraints, like the business problems. You need the constraints of the business and, mm-hmm. and to see how those trade-offs get made in, in a real big app. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's interesting, but, um, yeah, we shipped, uh, I think, I don't know if we talked about this last week, but we, we shipped the, the Mirage domain modeling training and then the tailwind one. I don't know. Had the tailwind one come out by the last time we did this? I don't, I don't think so. I don't, actually. I don't think so. Yeah. I think it's soon. Yeah. So we'll put a link to those. Um, and, uh, those are our EmberConf trainings, which went virtual this year because the conference was virtual and, and, um, so they're on YouTube now and, um, yeah, that was fun. Um, and you've, uh, you've gotten a lot of good feedback on them too, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, there, it's an hour and a half long. So the second one, I was better about chopping it up, at least with the outline to point out the different things, but it would be fun to turn that content into like 10 minute videos that are more like suitable for YouTube, you know? Nice. But, um, yeah, just lots of little tips and tricks for each thing kind of working on it. And, uh, you know, we've been live streaming on the inspector and that was also the test bed for that. And man, oh, that was, that was fun. So I've been, I've used the inspector like three or four times in the last two days answering questions. Um, cause you know, I subscribe to Mirage.js slash discuss, which is like a repo and the re and also the main repository. And then like the tag on stack overflow. And then we have a discuss. And so I just try to answer those if I have them in my email every so often and, um, man, this is going to be a game changer for me. And also just for helping people learn. Um, basically if you haven't been seen it yet, we have this inspector where you can paste in like a Mirage config, like everything about it. It's like a server definition with the models, the schema, the serializers, the data, um, the routes, and then you can make requests to it. And so if someone is trying to get Mirage to work a certain way and they can't, well, now I can just, um, I can just send them a link to the inspector and paste in the code. And uh, it just show it to them, and they don't have to get clone and check out anything and yarn run, nothing. I mean, it's amazing. It's it's frictionless. Yeah. And um, you know, right now the only thing is like visit this PR build and paste in this config. But eventually, if we can have it where we can just share the config, you know. Oh, oh, we will. We definitely will. Um, how will we do that? By the way, uh, I. I am currently exploring serverless oh. uh, databases to to store all this. Oh, awesome! Um, yeah, I want I want this to be something that we we build with. Well, right now I want this to be something that we build without setting up a backend yes. or anything like that. I want to see how far we can get. Totally. Um, I think. By the way, I think these tools look super promising. Awesome. Um, also, the data is relatively simple. Yeah. Um, it's a Mirage config. Yeah. Right, and then maybe you know other maybe files there's like eventually. there's like yeah or like there's a notion of like multiple requests and which one right is a, but right now it's it's just a server definition nice um so i think i think it's we can we can get there what would it be like what would it use to store uh, the data so first up i have amplify I, I posted something on twitter about what is the best um what is the best um I don't even know what term to use to describe this. I want I want a database that I can talk to directly from JavaScript. Mm. And so uh, there's like no backend. There's no hope. Yeah, but Mongo, I have to set up. I have to yeah. set up. It's a, a, it's a managed. It's a yeah. unmanaged thing. So it's not 
it's it's you know it's probably like falls within you know, imagine like a Venn diagram it fall, probably falls within serverless right because that's just how these things are typically set up which generally means no SQL mm-hmm. um, so the first anyway that I got a bunch of feedback the first one that I want to explore is amplify um, this is like Amazon's offering that gives you a database you set up in AWS and then you can query it from JavaScript with GraphQL uh, so we're, we're gonna see how that goes cool um there's a whole you know there's a whole bunch of them cool um now we would have to pay for this but the idea with serverless is that it's not like uh presumably it wouldn't be as expensive like uh brian made this point on the podcast that he was talking about and i actually thought it's easy to hear what he says and like dismiss it but i actually think it's a valid point because like he was like, oh, yeah, then you just have like this hobby Heroku plan that's like $7 a month, even if you're not using it. I actually have like three of these things. And I pay like what, 20-something what, dollars what, a month what? for it. We don't, we don't have any of those. It's not, yeah. <laughs> what are you talking and, about? It's, I had this reminder app that I built with my brother, and I use it for like three years now. And it just sends me an email like on a regular basis of like different reminders I've scheduled. And there's no reason I should be paying $7 a month for it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, if it was serverless, it's literally only use, being used for me and my brother. But we just don't want to shut it off because we actually use it. It should be costing like pennies a month or something right, like right. that. Yep, yep. And so anyways, it's just kind of interesting to think like it seems like a much better fit for, for this sort of thing. Uh, you, know, you know, it also like just even even we could say like that doesn't matter. You could actually plan your your capacity right well i'm i guess i guess Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna say that but um even if you did even if you could even if you could like well i guess i i I don't know where i'm going i actually want to back out of that statement and say that like teams are 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 bad at planning their capacity yeah 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 so how many times have you worked on a project where like you set up some crazy aws uh vpc whole network and then it turns out you don't even use even well let's let's simplify that even with heroku when we set up our Heroku instances of like two web servers and two workers, like we're not using it's, all that. Yeah, totally. We're not you're using guess, close to all that. Yeah, you're guessing, and, and then and and also like there's and parts you guess of at it the beginning can, of the project. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you can guess in the wrong directions too. Like there can be parts that are the bottleneck because you start to server side render fast boot and it takes a ton of memory. And what you, turns out what you need is more workers as opposed to more database yep. servers or something like that. And yep. um, so yeah, having it just kind of scale on its own was pretty pretty cool idea. For for me, I, w- I want to be clear for like this the Mirage Inspector stuff though. It's it although that price the seven dollar Her- Heroku nodes yeah. that we have that are just going to sit there forever forever. Um, that's not really why I'm exploring this. That's not a pain point. The the pain point is, you know, ever since we started building SPAs, every year that goes by, the back end feels like more and more glue code. Yeah, and it just like I finish the SPA and then it's like okay now I need to think about like how am I going to deploy this? Yeah. Even even stuff like going in and setting up like um, C name records for like mm-hmm. the front end to talk to the back end. Uh, it's just all that stuff is a pain. So if right. I could just have a JavaScript client that could talk directly to a database, that seems like um, it, it eliminates all this easy stuff, but it's going to make me feel a lot more productive. Totally. I mean, basically, it's something like Fire, Firebase, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I'm not dismissing Firebase. Firebase yeah. is is definitely on the table for this. Yeah. Um. I wonder what Rich does with Svelte. I mean, you log in when you are on the Svelte REPL, and um, you know, he might even use like GitHub Gist. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, yeah, we should look. I know. I know. Like, what would that? What would that look like? The problem with Gist, I think, is if you save Ember um, Twiddle, Twiddle has this problem where if like you, when you talk to Gist, you need a key in there, and if you don't, you hit rate limits. And mm-hmm. if you're in like an office environment, so this actually happens to us at WeWork, um, mm-hmm. we'll get we'll get timed out from Gist. But we could we could have a serverless function act as a reverse proxy. Sure. Sure, we could, but I want to see like part of this for me that violates the yeah the, the statement that I started this off with, and we might end up there, right? Yeah, because I but think I, he yeah, I I would like like a, a JavaScript to um, yeah to to backend. I mean, if we have to do a serverless function and it's like in an API folder right alongside the code, it feels a lot better to me. 
but there's no yep. question that it complicates things. Yeah, yeah. A, 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 a serverless function, like the way like the Next puts serverless yeah. functions into its environment, that's a lot, a lot, a lot more easier pill to swallow than a Rails. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. To um, me, it's like let's try something else. This is more. Uh, I'm I'm very much in like the like let's experiment and learn. So yeah. I want to like go yep. to my ideal conclusion to start yeah, off, yeah, yeah, and then for I'll sure. probably probably the real world will come back and and lay down some constraints right but no it's a good opportunity to explore it and also it's just like kind of um i mean the root cause here is like we're not actually happy with our stacks right now like yeah. that we're just not actually satisfied with our stack like if i had to start a new business you know um i wouldn't be happy with the stack that i would use right um yep. so it's kind of like maybe there's something out there that I mean, it's almost like I want to say too. like, I would, I don't know, like saying like you want to start a new business. There's so many, so many trade-offs there. Something like Embermap where we were three years ago. Right, right, right. To me, it feels like it's almost, I mean, like I I just, we don't understand this stuff enough to know, to bet, make that kind of bet on this newer technology, which is much more pleasant to work with, but we don't understand and, and where yes. the business risk is and the technology risk are, is this a startup that's going to, you know, is Hasura right. just a startup that's going to go out of business, not going to work anymore, or is it an open source core that you'll be able to deploy yourself and therefore there's not as much risk or whatever, um, all that stuff, right? So yeah, but if mm-hmm. I had to make another SPA Rails backed thing, it would just be, it would be, I would feel like I'm, yeah, it, I wouldn't be happy with that, you know. I I, I mean. W- wouldn't you almost want to just just make a Rails app at that point? I, I mean, honestly, like, yeah, I, I, there's so many there's so many problems. Like, for me, man, also, like, I just I, I think you're better with this than me. But like, switching between JavaScript and Ruby, um, just the context switching for me is more expensive. Um, alone, you know, which is why yeah. when I would build, work on those features that involve the front end and the back end i would just do it all in the front end against mirage write tests and then kind of switch context and go implement the api routes and the interface and and everything and that made it much easier for me but really you want to be treating it as a whole app you know yeah yeah i think that's a really good point they're not whole apps no matter what we we think of them as whole apps but they're not the context switch yeah the context switch isn't is bad for me i mean i think it's a lot easier when you do ruby first right and then you learn javascript later right 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 um i think that it, it feels like so much busy work yeah I mean, it really just, does it's, it's the busy work that's just and yeah um next would be pretty cool but it leaves a lot of like again if we were in a position where we were literally starting like an ember map um going all in on next in some ways feels safe and in some ways feels risky yeah what do you think about that, Mr. Kool-Aid? I mean, it's extremely <laughs> risky. I think, I mean, you know, building the Mirage next stuff this last week, it's it's super fun. I like it. There's a lot I really like about next, but I think it's just things that I happen to like. Um, yeah, we don't know where next is going to be in right. three years. Or what it's just, like to build a real next app, like a full. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Next app. There's something else I was going to say. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it'll come back to me. I had this note about SBAs on the web sucking. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, dude, if you go to, I, you know how like Safari has this like, this will still record if I just minimize that, right? Um, like this is even on desktop. So you go to Safari and, you know, when you click a link and then you click another link and you 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 have this like swipe to back motion and it looks like that. It's like that page swiping animation thing, right? Yep. Um, just like on iOS, like you drag the end of the screen and it swipes back. And with an SPA, you know, that's rendering from cache. But with an SPA, it's it's once it recognizes that that um, like change state in the history in the router, it's going to re-render it. And so it just looks really bad. So any SPA you go on on Safari mobile or even desktop and do that swipe back to back animation it basically like almost it basically doesn't work um Hmm. or there's like a flicker 
if, even if you go to iCloud.com on Safari, like Apple, iCloud.com on Safari on any device, because iCloud.com is an SPA and you click the different apps and they do this cool fading SPA thing, but then you try to go back, you're just like violating the web in certain ways. I know we just talked about this, about embracing like what the web has to offer versus trying to compete with like native apps. But it was just like, I think I had just edited that podcast and I was uploading my training to YouTube and YouTube studio is like this new SPA. It's like the studio is like their rewritten thing. And like, man, I will say there are some things that are so nice about it. Like you drag a video in and it starts better. Than it used to be. I just want to say that. And it starts uploading and the progress bar is showing you that and you can fill out the details and you can say publish now. And it's like, all right, your still video is still uploading. Just keep this page open until it finishes. And there's a lot of stuff it does that wouldn't be possible without JavaScript. But I was like switching accounts from like Ember Map to Sam Salikoff or something like that. And it was so slow and I just like refreshed because it was I just kept hitting this stuff where I'm like I'm on a list of videos and I click a video and like I can see what the SPA is doing. It's like all the little gnomes are going to work <laughs> to like unrender the rendered JavaScript and like the memory is being freed up and it's like a little fade out thing and then it's trying to load it again. And I'm like, it's so bad, you know, I just almost want to command click on this just to get the, the actual video that I want to edit in a new tab. And then like Twitter did this thing where they fade in all their tweets now. And I was just like, what is going on with this? Like, <laughs> just let the browser do as, as fast as it can. It's going to be better. I don't know. I just I'm, I just ha- still had this like cognitive dissonance in, internally where it's like, on the one hand, there's so many stupid things we can't do when we just do server rendered stuff. There's just so many things. Like, I was thinking about this. No other application is built like this. Like, it's it's not even just native apps on your iPhone versus the web. It's like, an app, when SPAs first came out and people were like, oh, look, it's like Gmail. Look what it enables. Like, you can re-render part of the UI without the whole thing. That's how every app ever works. Like, on your PlayStation, it's just, that's how, that is an app, that is how software works. And then, like, on the web, we have this really strange model where it's like, you re-render the whole thing after every user interaction with a new string of HTML given to you from a server. And it's like, that's how the web was built. And so it's like you fight that a lot if you try to build it like an app. But we want to build apps because like that's just how all software goes. And that's why like Gmail is like a useful thing to have. You know what I mean? Yeah. There 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 there's there's a lot there. So let me just <laughs> let me have a speed round. So I think I think Safari and the back button and Safari's back button embracing the web and not SPAs, like that's I get that. That's frustrating. I would I would hope that Safari would change that behavior. I don't yeah, think that's too. a reason to dismiss SPAs. Um, yeah. You know, as far as far as like the YouTube thing, by the way, I, I saw you you put a note that you wanted to talk about this on the podcast, and then <laughs> I was in um, my I don't know Schwab or Fidelity account, and I had the same thing happen where like I did a transaction and it didn't show up on the screen. And I was like clicking around. I was like, yeah, just the hard reload. Command yeah, because you know what's going on in our head. You know yeah. the new data will be there when you refresh it. So I, I, I think this goes back to, I think I talked about, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I think when you start an SPA, um, you think about it like a CRUD app. And I think it's very easy to, um, I think there's so many more states in the SPA yeah. that it's a lot harder to code. And we treat them, yeah, just from experience, we treat them like CRUD apps. Like I yeah. built the screen, um, it's done, I'm gonna move on to the next screen, but we're and, not thinking about like the transitions between the right, two screens. Right. How if you enter from screen one and go to screen two is different that, from if you enter That's from really two. the thing, it's all the state and the ways you can get there because um, it's, it's not a route as an entry point. There's N entry points based on the other states of the app. Yeah, and there there are patterns to deal with this, but we, I think that, yeah, I think the way we build SPAs is we don't, the tooling is such that like we start talking about these patterns and we notice we have these problems. It's because we're web developers and we've been making websites with like a hard reload mentality for a decade. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, th- three or four decades, but like us who are JavaScript hipsters or whatever, you know, the last, t- whatever, we're, that's where we came from. So it's like, it's it's a mismatch. But a bad SPA is so much worse than a SS a server side rendered app. Yes, so much worse. But there yeah, are but, a lot of bad SPAs out there. 
if you think about the degree from like zero to 100 that all the things that a server rendered app can get wrong yes and then what is the like how much wider is the uh the zero to 100 for yes SPA? yes i mean dude github shouldn't even be using turbo links it really bothers me like it, it has stale issues because of that and that's because of javascript like that's because of state management bad state management on the javascript side so like you close an issue and then it's not even when you click back you can like you can click you, yeah but there's you, some th- there's a lot of there, there's like there's a couple vectors that i keep running through you close an issue or a yeah, pr you merge something and you go back to the list and it's not even the back button it's just it's something that github is doing i actually think if you leave I don't know if it's the browser cache interfering with it or not. I don't think it is. I think there's a I, bug. Yeah, we've we've all noticed this. You close an issue, you go back, the issue count is still plus one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you have to refresh it to get the latest li- list. But this is a thing where, like, I think that when you're building, when you're in CRUD app mentality, you're not thinking about that. Yeah. Because there, there are things that where GitHub is deliberate about being a JavaScript app that's yeah. freaking amazing. Yeah. Like like your your test pass and the GitHub icon just changes to green. Yeah, that's true. Or like someone. You're um, you're writing an issue and you accidentally close the window, and you go back and the issue text is still there. That's true. Um, Good points. You're but writing an like... issue. Oh, uh, you're looking at a PR and someone pushes new code and you immediately get a notification that says this PR has been updated. Click here to refresh. Yeah. So I think I think these are deliberate things that. Good points, Toronto. That, yeah, that they're pulling me about. back. You're pulling me out of the depths here, <laughs> the abyss. It's I'm hard, deep, man. It's, I'm it's, deep. It's a lot, lot harder because. The, the 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 way we think about crud apps it doesn't apply um well maybe that's why those isolated areas are so good because they're actually given the respect and treat treatment they deserve where it's like a mini application um like the WYSIWYG uh wizard in the youtube studio that is so good but it's like the rest of the app is like so, it's bad it's really bad yeah or the labels on, on github like without javascript that would suck you know um apply a label or assign someone like you just start typing it and it pulls it up and it's like way better, you know? Yep. Thinking like kind of tying it back to how we started this, you know, the, a lot of SPAs I've worked on have had bugs like this and you know, me being like a, a, a overconfident developer, I'm like, I can fix this. Like I just need time. Like yeah. I can totally fix all this. I can make this app perfect. But when you think of the, um, the, sorry, WhatsApp just went off and <laughs> you blew my ears out. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, when you think of like the constraints of the business, yeah, the, the fact that like okay, yeah, sometimes we have to reload the page. That is way way less important than uh, getting this new feature, this yeah. new form built. Uh, and so I I think the advice here is like if you're in a situation like that, maybe it's irresponsible to use an SPA. Yeah, that's SPA like they really need a lot of care. Um, seems like you're making a bad now. It seems like a bad reason to make an SPA almost every time. <laughs> Or I guess the value has to be worth it, right? So like like Gmail um, or or Google Calendar or Trello um, or uh, Figma. <laughs> uh, these are the thing. These are business cases that warrant um, an SPA and and therefore uh, warrant a business needs to. They warrant the business resources to actually build a proper SPA. Right, right. Um, SBA here is going to be difficult, but it's the only way we can solve this problem, and therefore there's going to be a, a massive reward for it. Right. Versus an organization that's used to building Rails apps and uh, is used to how long the team is used to how long the product team is used to how long it takes to add a feature or four pages, and now you're building another back office app, but you're using SPA instead, and the team is like, why is it taking so long for like this one page with like a list of users and like for me to edit them? yeah um it's, it's sad that, it, to me that it, there's a trade-off well yeah i mean that's where like the idealist in me comes out and says that just every app should be an spa right yeah exactly it's a, frame, it's a framework problem and you know the fact that we can do things we can big assumption here but you know they're they're you can imagine a world where an SPA can do everything a server rendered app can yeah. do, but not the opposite. You can't. Yeah, you yeah, can imagine yeah. we can right now. We can point to things that server the SPAs can do that server rendered apps can't do. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, dude, for me, the threshold of of is so low for how much JavaScript I need to write to feel like I'm just want to only write JavaScript, right? And I would be happy to make a Rails app, um, but as soon as I have to start 
adding JavaScript for like parts of it, I'm going to be like, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to build a UI and I am using like the wrong tool and I should just be like JavaScript. I should just be using JavaScript because like JavaScript is like a UI language, like fundamentally. And it's perfect for that. It is unbelievably how fast you get to that point when working on a rails app. Yeah, I know. It's like, this is just a crud app with a few forms and you're like, okay. And then three weeks into it, you're getting all these features that like, man, if I could just have used JavaScript, yeah, I would, this would be so much easier. But I don't know. I think we get, we tend to get focused on those features and how much easier it would be in JavaScript and we lose, you know, we're not thinking about the other stuff and how much easier it is in server render land. Sure. Sure. Um, by the way, I'm still buying SPA stock. Right? Sure, I'm, I'm sure. negative about it, but I'm 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 buying it. Totally. No, that's uh, yep. I also think it was interesting is like I think one of the big things that has driven JavaScript adoption in the last five ten years is probably like much bigger organizations where there's this front end and back end split because there has to be because the quality or complexity of the thing demands it. Like um, someone like me who's comfortable making a server, making a full stack app. Uh, I'm not going to be able to jump into a large organization and like optimize a database and like do indexing and stuff that's going to be like really hyper specific to a like a really larger complex organization. That's a very, it's not going to be the best use of my skills. And so naturally, these places are gonna are gonna specialize. And um, yeah, that's a ve- that, by the way, that was a very nice way to describe uh, office politics. Wait, what do you mean? I think that's what that's why. Oh, oh, oh you're end, you're saying I'm giving way too much. Yeah, I'm giving way, way too, too much, much credit to to the. <laughs> you think, like, for example, like backend developers trying to like gatekeep their systems or something like that, or yeah, I think it's just hard to. I think it's really. I think it's why you see like microservices and stuff like that. I think it's hard to um, to have so many people working in one app, and when you can draw clean lines about. Here's the front end. We change all this. Here's the back end. You change all this. It's a lot easier. I'm also being a little snarky. But I was going to yeah, say, it's a pretty so, cynical take. Here. And, and interesting, interesting. I mean, I, I've heard that before, of course. Isn't there some law about the, the yeah. architecture with your communication? Con- Conway's law? Yeah. Metcalf's law? One of those. One of those. Your architecture uh, imitates the way your company communicates. Okay, but the logical end of that, of the cynical view, is like literally the reason like... I was a front end developer anywhere is because like they it it it's what you're saying is like most organizations or all organizations that do this actually shouldn't do this have the split is that kind of would you agree with that or may, even many many organizations that have the split shouldn't um yeah to me there's or, like real benefits to or, it or or if there is a split the line isn't um the line isn't correctly drawn. It's not front and back end. It should yeah. be like by vertical or whatever. So one of the examples that I, I always think about is like your back end team is generally responsible for like the database and the API endpoints. Mm-hmm. So they generally design everything and then tell the front end developers, here's how you get your data. But I think this is wrong because yes. if you think about it, your front end developer is the one that's building the page. So your front end developer is a person that knows uh, all the data that's needed for the page. Yeah. So they they should be the one that's actually designing the, yeah, the query yeah, yeah. And, and the data. Um, but, but yeah, that's just, that's like a hard, it's like a hard thing to make. It's a hard argument to make because front-end developers are, they do design and colors and CSS. They yeah. don't do databases, yeah. which, which, so this is why I think, you know, yeah, yeah, that's a lot why of this you, is wrong. And, yeah, 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 interesting, interesting. But, but I, I guess what I'm saying is like, why did JavaScript and front end become such a big thing the last five, 10 years? There is something about the split technologically speaking oh, yes. that allows you to move very, very fast yeah, to have yeah. consultants come in and build your front end and, you know, just power it with your existing backend. And, and now you've like offloaded 70% of the problem. Um, and I think bigger organizations that can work like that, they they do so because of business pressure. I mean, of course, there's a political thing, but that's not. Yeah, that, I don't that think is that's not the main the driver. That yeah, is not, not the, the reason, reason the JavaScript yes. became popular. That's like, what like, I'm saying. That's yes. what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's uh, what I'm saying is because my whole point of making this argument or just this line of thinking that I've had recently is like, 
if it's true that bigger organizations, the needs, the legitimate needs, let's just set aside the cynicism for a second. The legitimate needs of bigger organizations have driven the need for specialization. Think like a Netflix, you know, think like a, a recommendations engine having to literally be an engine with its own fault tolerance um, percentages and uptime. And it can't just be, you know, a, a SQL query by, made by active record in a Rails template. Like it is an engine. If it fails, um, the rest of the page still needs to be able to render. All of these things are going to drive specialization and separation of, of technology of technology and, and teams along technology lines. And um, in those situations, like it doesn't actually matter that the the the, the separation and the hard boundaries are our feature, and they let the teams work more productively uh, independently. But when you bring that architecture back to a two person team. Uh, the the boundaries the hard boundaries add a lot of friction un- unnecessary friction and they leave us in a spot where we don't feel happy with our tool sets so my whole my point is, is like is that like I, I agree with everything you're saying but uh, I think sometimes those boundaries are good like those boundaries enforce a good way of thinking or a good way of of you talked about like fault tolerance like maybe just thinking about those boundaries is how you get that fault tolerance. But do you need that when you're starting a brand new app or is it better to have a Rails-like experience, like a monolithic experience? And I'm, I'm not even saying that there's a trade-off. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. I'm saying that there, the reason there, that, that there's a gap in that people like us maybe say like we're not happy with our stack right now is because we've, we know the productivity of, of a Rails-like environment and um, we don't have that right now uh, with, the, with the tools that we're used to going heavy on front-end JS but it doesn't mean that there couldn't exist one like correct y- you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. um a- a- it's just that there the the dr- the if my premise is true that the driving force behind the separation of tools is from the bigger companies that have needed the specialization you're not going to see a monolithic solution for the little man starting out a new project from the bigger companies they don't have an incentive there's no reason for netflix to set up a situation where they can use their archi- their microservice architecture, but it can be easy for one person to make a whole app starting from zero. You see what I'm saying? Like React as a library is great in this environment where you just need a front end and you're going to be talking to an existing API, let's say. But if you have to make an app like uh, EmberMap or just a, SaaS, a new SaaS app that you want to start um, or an inspector with a back end, you know, just React isn't going to get you there because you also need to make an API. And so now you're making two apps and like making two apps is worse than making one app uh, mm-hmm. when you're starting out. No, no question about it. But it's not when you're in a situation where you actually want two apps because one app is causing you problems, which is a, a Netflix scale issue. You see what I'm saying? So I just think that. And you're, you're saying that the main driver of this is because all the JavaScript frameworks that are we see today are driven by big organizations. I think. My guess is like that's a big part of why JavaScript has become popular because, the, again, the cynical there's one cynical view that's like the communication thing. There's another cynical view that's like, no, the reason people started using React and JavaScript is because uh, it's like cool and new. But like, I totally don't believe that. I believe that yeah, there yeah. were real problems that middle to large company size companies were facing, problems of their existing architecture that they ran up against where but, okay they could have solved it with like doing what dhh and Basecamp do but this was an alternative solution that maybe letting a team focus on just the front end with a tool like react to make them feel more productive make them be more productive actually solve certain issues where like the back end team was causing it the deploy was taking a week just to change some css or something like that or whatever it is right yeah but i don't know if i i mean i, I get this i also think there's a lot of companies out there that they're small companies and they have the same mentality like react lets them solve a problem um and it's about solving that problem not about the separation i'm not saying that small companies shouldn't use react or build spas or or go heavy on javascript i absolutely think that that a lot of the problems that the like the more distributed architecture solve for the bigger companies can also come up with smaller companies what i'm saying is because they came up with bigger companies Mm-hmm. who they were never worried about like this one app conceptual approach because the one app is what was killing them to begin with and so whereas yeah. we want right now like for example building the inspector with a back end we or just a, a stack for a new app we want a one app approach um 
that brings the benefits of the separation, but still pieces them together in a nice way. And again, I don't think there's anything about the architecture, just like we're seeing with Next JS. You know, the the new version that lets you have the the server side query right alongside your front end component. Like that's an example of what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's just interesting, and it's also like part of me is like. Well, I need to spend time with Next because I'm interested in it. But like, I know a lot of the Next architecture and the use cases are being driven by like bigger companies too, right? Um, if someone were to focus on sm- like the Redwood JS thing, right? If that was going to be a focus for like this more like monolithic approach using the newer modern tools, but it's like, is it being designed or is it being extracted? And like, I'm a big believer in like tools being extracted, so it's just kind of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. I don't remember why we started talking about this. There was a point. No, no, there was no. like a point at the end I wanted to make. I mean, maybe the, well, that uh, you know, in the back of my head, as you were talking, one of my questions is going to be like, so do we need Rails Basecamp to design our next JavaScript framework? That yeah. small, that small company that you know, yeah, that's using the modern tools that we like that uses JavaScript, so you're not limited when you want to build those interactions that are inevitably going to need it. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I don't know what it's going to look like either. But um, I just, I guess the reason I was thinking a lot about this is because it feels like to me sometimes people are talking past each other when they're talking about this stuff. And um, you see like Dan Abramov talking about what APIs they're adding to support certain things in React and how they need to support these crazy things. You know, they worked on Relay. People talk about how the Facebook was built. You know, we don't need to build our apps the way yeah. Facebook was built. We we just need a simple way to do persistence. Um, so it can feel like the more indie hacker groups of people who are one or two or three man shops versus the people working on these at these bigger companies building things like Relay or Falcor or whatever. All these things that are helping the bigger companies solve their problems, you know, to make the teams more efficient independently, they can talk past each other, but it doesn't feel like it ha- it, sh- it has to be like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, yeah. So I don't know, just something that's been, I've been thinking about. Um, it's definitely frustrating not to have a, to be happy with the stack. I mean, the last two or three side projects I worked on, I wrote with React and Hasura and it was a dream, but those are not real apps because, I just haven't taken the time to learn how to do auth or like send an email yet. And I think there's good answers to all those things. But again, it's like, it doesn't feel the same as like learning rails because it's like, it feels like one piece of it. There's yeah. yeah, There's a weird thing too, where I think if someone hired us to build an app, um, we wouldn't be able to just go build it in Hasura without explaining the, the risks and the trade-offs to them. Right. Right. Um, Right. And it feels different in that sense from a Rails app, even though in Rails you do have to host it some, you know, you're going to have, you can ask, you can say, yeah, this relies on a Postgres server and a Redis server and you have to do that in some way or another. And maybe you end up using Heroku. And so you end up like, you end up making something that they have lock into Heroku to do it for this point, but it feels less risky than saying Hasura. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it should. I mean, it, I mean, it is less yeah. risky. It's way less risky. Um, so it's, we're in a weird spot where like the, the stable safe solution we're not satisfied with and yeah. the, the new thing that we're excited by, um, we don't fully understand yet. Yeah. 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 And it's, it, I don't know, maybe it's like, we actually have to like build an app Yeah, and like, not just like build an app in a weekend, but like right, actually like right. build an app over the course of a year. Right, right, right. I know. Yeah. I mean, I, I built those apps in like two and a half hours. It was awesome. <laughs> and I still use one of them. The other one I don't use because my habit, my nutrition tracking scheme didn't work very well. But um, yeah, I just don't like, it's tough. We don't like making compromises, but we're also like very conservative by nature in terms of like the tech that we like and use. But um, it's hard to go backwards. It's hard to feel like you go backwards, right? Yeah. Which is why like if I actually had to make a Rails app, I would just... I would be FOMOing so much about like the component models on the front end that I'm, I'm used to building with, you know, yeah, or whatever. Yep. But, um, 
I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. It would be fun to find a team that's like a couple years into a startup that has a good technical director or CTO or whatever and kind of see how it went with like a modern stack. Just see what they use. People who were like us in that situation a couple of years ago, see what they did, who were comfortable. Like, yeah, there's just so many different things. And Prisma, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of awesome stuff about. Seems like it might be up our alley in terms of like the philosophy. Apollo, who, who knows about all this stuff? I think there's a little bit of, you know, these tools are new. There's a lot of uncertainty about them because they're new, not because like, not even because like abstractly they're wrong. Let's Mm -hmm. just, let's just not even have that on the table. Um, I, I, I feel like it's almost like flipping a coin. It's like, yeah, I chose, I chose redux and you know, it's no longer pop. It didn't work out. I don't think that's like, or someone else saying like, oh, I didn't use redux instead. I used this instead. I used, um, GraphQL. I don't, yeah dude graphql came out in 2015 by the way it's five years old yeah do you remember how you felt as a rails developer five years into its life yeah i mean probably felt way more confident in rails i on year five that was like in what 2007 or 2008 or something and it would have been like rails rails was like oh two or three or something Rails came out in like 04, but you know, for the first year it was, it's unfair to say it came out in 04 because people weren't using it in 04. It was, yeah. um, didn't yeah. Rails 10 years celebrate version five or whatever. So five years in would have been what version two or three, something like yeah, that. Three. Yeah. Five years in would have, yeah. Three. So yeah. Um, how did Rails feel around version three? Solid, like solid tech, like everyone was using it. Yeah. I mean, yes. Rails three was awesome. Yeah. Not like, I mean. I don't know if these, I mean, I, this might just be a cheap, cheap out for me, but Rails was not the, the whole idea of, of MVC frameworks did not come along with Rails. Um, I feel like GraphQL is a paradigm shift. Yeah. Where Rails, um, was a huge improvement on existing. That sound like an easy out by the way, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I hear what you're saying. It would be more like whatever's going to come out between now and the next five years that's like putting a layer on top of GraphQL and adding a ton of conventions kind of thing. I I guess one one of the reasons I'm saying this too is like the first Rails app I wrote, like I didn't understand Rails, but I knew exactly what I was doing because I had been writing MVC frameworks in PHP. Symphony or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I knew what models and controllers were. I knew how to think of templates. I mean, of course I like you know, made a mess of Rails APIs. I'm sure, not saying sure. it was like a perfect Rails app. Sure, sure, sure. But like the first GraphQL queries I wrote just had no, I'm just like throwing mud at the wall. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? And I'm just like, oh, cool. Look yeah, this data. yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that's true. There's not, there's not a ton, of, there's not hundreds, there's not a ton of developers out there with, with, with years and years of experience with this stuff. It, I mean, it feels like, it feels like it's kind of settled down in the last few years versus like 2015 for sure. Yeah, yeah. When a lot of the stuff was changing quickly. Um, and every year that goes by is is more important for GraphQL's you know longevity. Yeah. Yep. Um. <laughs> Amplify is is that use GraphQL? Ah, uh, yeah. Yep. So Do we'll all see. these things use GraphQL? I th- um I think so. Firebase like doesn't. Right, Firebase doesn't. Hasura does. does. Amplify does. I think Amplify Fauna, does. Oh, Fauna does in, too. Yeah, um, I think it's nice that they just they have an easy communicate. You know that they can leverage GraphQL for this. I guess so. It's yeah. Maybe it's like the easy choice. Yeah. Um, we'll see. I you know. Very interesting, man. I really want. I wish I just had like a million dollars, and we could just. I guess that would be a bad thing to make an app without constraints, but it's more like to justify building a real app with this stuff and like figure out what we like about the different tools. Um, what was I going to say? It's interesting that I, I'm excited the next time we have an opportunity to make a, a our crazy use resource hook and to reimplement like the things we love about Ember data with the react hooks, because the first time we tried to do that, um, we were trying to use react state to store our cache. And then since 
I did this live stream with uh, SWR, which is Zeit's um, data fetching library, and they just use like module. They just use like modules global for nice. like their cache. Nice. I, I still don't know how I feel about this, but like I'm, maybe it's just because I'm so used to like uh, DI and, and Ember, which is to me is nice because it's like if you have singleton state, it's injected. Okay, that was really weird. I literally just bumped my desk and and um, Lana Del Rey started playing. You know what happened? I think my watch bumped it. That was really weird. Um, kind of Is freaky, it a actually. JavaScript front end? <laughs> um, I'm used to Ember's dependency injection. And when you have singleton state, it is uh, injected somewhere. So if you have a module in in an ember app it's like a definition of a static thing it's like uh exports like a class definition or a function and um those aren't like stateful they're like blueprints wait what wait 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 they can be stateful right they, can't you they, they 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 can they can be what i'm saying is like if you have a service or a controller or something the thing you export in the file is like is a definition and then when the ember app boots up there is a you a, should a, a DI you, system that creates and, and yeah, constructs yeah. all of those things and sets up their state, and that way um, you're never you're never making stateful code in a global s- scope um, or outside of the DI system, so that you have a way to easily reset the state. For example, if you want to throw away an app after each test, and yeah. um, so that's like a good. Th- that's just like how my my brain has done that for so long, and it feels like such a clean way to do things that the idea of like doing like const cache equals object right there like alongside my import statements and not in like the body of an export but it's just like right it's right there so like whenever webpack happens to evaluate this module like you can export like cache export const cache equals object someone else can like import cache and just like start adding data to it you from another file that's like concatenated to it at, at some point you don't even know about you like you like that the Ember's DI system gets you yeah like what you say think of the blueprint and you're just making you're exporting classes not instances yeah and, and then you let the system turn those classes into instances where we're using like JavaScript modules that makes you uncomfortable that you can just export something and other things can start writing to it yeah it's just like shared uh and, global and by the way you should yeah it's we know that globals are bad yeah and this is just a another use of globals yeah um. I- and like even in React, it's React is the same way, right? Where you have context that um, doesn't have its state set up until like you create it, and then you wrap the app in a provider and React called React.render. And so again, the the state lives inside the context of an application. So when React gets rid of it, it can reset or throw away the state. But with SWR, it's like literally like a const cache equals hash, and you just go to town on it. Yeah. And then, oh, by the way, when you write a test, like you have to reset it because it's a global that's not getting thrown away. But um, no, it was more like uh, I kind of want to try that next time because th- th- this is the thing. There's a middle ground between going all in on like React context state and doing this global thing, which would be like having another layer outside of the thing that is your application that calls React DOM that render, but also maybe sets up a DI system for you. But like, we don't have that. We don't, who's got time for that, right? So I think it would be more as an interesting thing because when we try to do this use resource hook where it's like, I want to have like use resource post one and get back a post that I can optimistically update that I can call dot save on that I can call destroy on. And um, if I fetch another payload somewhere that has post one in it, I can update this reference uh, immediately and because we were putting all this in react context it was getting really hard and confusing about managing re-renders and how to do all that so i think it would be a lot easier if we just took the approach that swr takes so with swr there's no no provider or anything like there's that. no provider no you just you no that's great that i was like wait i was like oh cool i was like oh <laughs> i know what's happening because like you you import use swr and you use the SWR, you pass in uh, API endpoint, like slash API slash users. And then you get the users back. It gives you a loading state. Then you get the data. You do it. You navigate away. And then you come back to this component. And it's there immediately. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I didn't wrap anything in a provider. How is this hook call from an isolated component 
um, uh, where is it getting data from that already existed? It only lives in this component. It's a function that got thrown away. So that's where it's a little weird, but it's also kind of magical and cool. Um, we could make it not so magical. It's more just about not having to put, if you have some state that is, that you just want to manage yourself, maybe you don't have to put it in a React context. Maybe you can just do your own thing. And we could do it our way where we would have some semblance of a system that is like cleaning up after itself, right? Yeah. Um, or we call new cache within a function that also calls React render so we can clean it up easily or whatever. But um, yeah, just kind of interesting, you know, to think about that. Yeah, I feel, I feel less less guilty about this than I think you do. I feel um, really guilty about it, or I just I feel be, like it's, it's like it's you're just gonna get into trouble if you, again, you can just import things and start like messing with it. Yeah, it's like I an import. It's like it shouldn't be, the import shouldn't change based on where I am in the require tree. Maybe it's just it's just hangover from like, it's uh, a global it's require a global. JS days or something. I, I don't know. I mean, it's a global, and we've all been bitten like by globals. Yes. So I can see, I can see that. I'd be, I'd be worried that if we started using a global for this stuff, then we'd start coming up with all these crazy callbacks, like on on data change to because tell React to re-render. Yeah, something like that, where yeah. we just we need insight into what's going on, and we have to expose it. So I think there's something nice about the consumer provider thing where data flows up to the provider provider re-renders its children with new data it's interesting though i think we should maybe look at the code for use swr and, and actually spend some time because i usually yeah. like to treat these things like a black box um you know me I, I have i just like i like to do that because i feel like it's a good way to learn it but like i think i'm starting to think maybe i should get more comfortable like diving into the code and stuff um but um yeah also too like don't oh yeah i don't think you should feel guilty about using a global no, 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 it's for sure. It's more, it's more like, um, what was I going to say? Uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, diving into the code before that. I, I, I was just saying, well, where I was going with it was, was saying that, um, I wanted to talk about SWR a little bit because like the parts that are annoying that I would like to abstract are, are this come back to this global identity. Oh, right. That's what I was going to say. So it's not so much about that. And, and the provider consumer pattern is, is amazing. No question. It's uh, a scoped, it's state for a scope subtree of your UI hierarchy. But the question that we always come back to is we talk about this in podcasts because server side state means global identity or whatever, right? Implies global identity. So the it's question a, is, I mean, it's not a subtree. I'll just, yeah, exactly. Is I'll it even UI state, right? That's really the question. If you make a fetch to slash post slash one and you want to cache that, that response, is that UI state? I don't know if it is. If you threw away the UI, would you still have it? Yeah, you would. It's like the latest version of yeah, post one. It's still, it's still valid. It's, exactly. So that's why I'm starting to think like the pr provider consumer stuff is good for like UI state. Like if you're in a wizard, and you have like steps that you want to make available to everyone that's very much tied to your ui at that point in time whereas um the stuff from the back end is like and and, and people say that i've never used redux before in an app production app i've played around with it people say that's what people use redux for that's actually why redux took off because people needed a place for this stuff because it doesn't make sense for it to just disappear when you close that page when you navigate away you don't want to just lose post one we already fetched it right mm -hmm. so maybe that's the rule which is like uh if it's not ui state then you we need some more established patterns um for where to put this stuff outside of the ui which is like a service and an ember um and, and, and a provider and consumer to some extent, but the, that's really even still tied to like rendering and where we ran into the issues was like trying to re-render things when those, those things changed. So that's, that comes back to like why this is hard because it's like, how does the use SWR hook know to notify that this thing has changed when this cache over here has, has changed? How does it actually do that? Do you know? Cause it's not calling set state. No, I haven't. Cause it's not, but it can't be just calling set state. I think, well, does it even do you pass in a setter at all? How do you? No, but it's a hook, so you can use other hooks in it. So 
Okay, so maybe the use maybe SWR use... hook has some callback that it has to its like main cache. So when it's main cache change, it it can call like set state, set state, state plus yeah. one. Yeah, 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 something like that. And maybe as you were saying that, like I, yeah, I, this isn't UI state. It's like global application state. Right. And maybe there's some, be it consumer provider or whatever, some hook. But right. there is a way to link these two things together, so you can get the UI re-rendering right. when the global store changes. Yeah, I think this is what Redux does. I just don't know how it does it. We just have to look at the code. I think. I think mm-hmm. it would be helpful to us. But yep. Yeah, I think I don't think Redux. I don't think Redux puts its state in a consumer in a, in, a, in a context. I don't think. I think it's outside of the React tree. Okay. I think. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't I have no idea. Yeah, but it definitely knows. There's that. It definitely has a mechanism for telling the tree to re-render when the state changes. You know. Mm-hmm. So, the use reducer stuff you do put in a context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. To get the re-renders yeah. for free. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And as a place to store. But it still that state still goes away, right? When the component disappears it's like tied to that hook that, that well, usage no, of the well, hook. well you have the state in a context so the, ah. com- the component can go away but the state can as long as the provider is still rendered it yeah yeah and the yeah. provider is always i mean it's at the root it's, it's a global right 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 yeah right. we say it's a subtree and that's like one of the yeah that's its design it's a cool but thing it's not, but yeah, it's a global it's most a, people a just root put thing. it around the root yeah, yeah. Cool. Interesting. Um, yeah. We, the SWR live stream was pretty cool. They, they have an interesting way where you like update the cache. So like you get back, um, it's like our storefront stuff. It's close to it on the querying side where you use a query, a, a cache, a URL as the cache key. And it's basically a query cache for you. So nice. if you've already called a get to some URL with a bunch of query params and stuff and someone else calls it, then, uh, it's uh it'll just return that same data but they also in the hook give you back a mutate function which you can invoke to update the cache for that key for like an optimistic update exactly so you do like use swr slash user slash one or slash to do slash one you get the to do as data and then you get a mutate hook you render the to do in the list then you make a form and uh in the form save uh uh handler you can call mutate and then put the new to do in there and it'll update everywhere in the ui then you make the save and then when it comes back you rewrite it again using the data from the server how do you make the save is the save like like a, a literal fetch post yeah. call yeah you so that's yourself. how you, so you get mutate to do optimistic doesn't have to be used for optimistic but you can exactly and then, and then what do you mutate again in the fetch after the fetch callback exactly to yep. do the pessimistic yep nice yep it's kind of cool it's kind of like ember data's default behavior but decomposed so you have yeah, control the over the mutate yep. um but it's still like a lot of wiring and i would still like to wrap that up into a little bit of a higher level because swr doesn't want to make any um uh like judgments about how you fetch data or make mutations it works with anything that makes ajax request whereas like we're always going to use fetch in an app so we can just wa- wrap that all up and also we have the identity stuff too that i would want it to just work yeah. or whatever so yeah but, it, but um, it seems like at the lowest level the mutate and the b- mutate callback is would still be there yes yep totally it totally would um it's just a little awkward and in, in some some parts um and um there's no connection when you make the post request. You really want something like a, a to do dot save, or to do dot update and then to do dot save because you just you, get a you mutate. Want, you want you fetch, just get the f- fetch with mutation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because they don't even you can make any post request you want. I you get it right. It's low level. It makes yeah. sense, but you want something a little more constrained. I think, or I, I think I want something more constrained. Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, me too, right? But I think the trap here is like now you know, especially with the identity stuff, you now have to have like an API format and you'll have to adhere yeah. to this and there has to be a way to have, how do you like cross-link identity? And, yeah, yep, um, in, a, in, a, in a list versus an in-sync single object. And and I think these are the things that Ember Data got right and I also think these are the things that, that make Ember Data so frustrating. 
Right. So. Right, right, right. No, I think what would happen, we would put the restraints on ourselves a little bit and wait uh, and extract instead of trying up front. Because I'm like, I know, I see already, I know exactly what I want. I've done st- storefront number data, the rough edges, we can actually smooth them out because this stuff is so low level. But I think it would be better to wait and see like, oh, every time I say something, I have to call mutate, pass in the optimistic thing passing a false so that mutate doesn't try to revalidate on its own then i make a post request and in the callback i check if we're still mounted then i all go mm. ahead and mute so it's all this stuff and i'm like this is where you want this is where it's like it's not ui state it's like outside of it and it's just taking care of that those state transitions on your own and if you care about the updates you can get them so that's that's where it's like it's a lot of boilerplate and i, I think we would extract something pretty pretty soon but it could it would be something that'd be easier to change and easier to throw away, you know, nice. <laughs> than, a, so than a public library. Use a resource next week. Exactly. No, I'm telling you, man, I know it. I know what it needs to be. But, uh, you know, it would be fun if we were working on something. Um, that's the thing. We need a real thing. Because I was doing this for a to-do app, and I'm like, it's not justified. There's like one form, and it's fine. Yeah. If I had a real app, if we had a real app, it would be cool. Because I think there would be a, use ca- a, a, a real justification for extracting something like use resource. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh yeah all right how we do on time i have no idea because uh <laughs> i don't have a little you know when we're in the office i got a little a little monitor with the total time and we're at an hour dude i miss the office man i miss it you can still go in i, I can but i i think the building says like you're really not supposed to anymore i went like oh, when really? I went last monday i walked to there and there's no one there so i felt okay about doing it but on the door, they were like, they had a new message that was basically like only people who have to be here, like service people and, and cleaners and stuff like that should really be inside. I mean, if you're not going to go, then we should uh, not be paying, paying for, for it. it. Oh, I don't but, but, but it's, we, yeah, it's worth paying for to, to not it, yeah, to yeah. have it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because it's a really good office. Yeah, totally. Um, yep. Cool, man. Nice. All right. Well, I guess I will see you online tomorrow doing the same, living the same day over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right. See you. Cool, man. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll see you next week. Hope you're staying safe and healthy and happy and everything as you can. (laughs) Bye.